This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody, and good evening. One more time, here we are talking about a new topic, a hot potato called L1. Stay tuned, join us, leave a comment, tune in, and talk it out. Don't be shy, we also have a great guest. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, 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 everybody, and good evening. I am so delighted. One more time, I've got this chance and this privilege to be talking to you about teaching and language teaching in particular. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. My name is Hadi, and you can follow Teachers Talk Radio on Twitter, TTR2022. You can also follow me on Twitter, Hadifati18. You can just recommend what topics you want to uh, you want us to be talking about. It would be really cool. And you can also, uh, in fact, leave comments right now. It is super exciting to be listening and to be reading your comments. And uh, it is always great. So tonight, we are going to be talking about a hot potato. And you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about L1. And by L1, I mean uh, students' native tongue, students' first language. You guys know what I'm talking about because you guys are teachers and you guys know and um, you've been teaching English. Of course, every now and then you run into problems. Uh, you explain something, but your students you know, have almost no chance uh, and luck understanding what you're saying. So it can be infuriating because at the same time, you know, you're trying, you're, you're doing your best in order to be teaching and you want to save time, you want to be brief, but you explain what you want to explain and things don't pay off. Your students look like baffled and puzzled and the more you explain, the worse the situation gets. This is what Kyle and I are going to be talking tonight. Kyle is going to join me. Uh, he's a great teacher, and I am sure we are going to have a lot of fun. Good, everybody. Uh, so let's go and let's move on. First off, I am going to be talking about teaching and language teaching in general. Uh, you guys know that teaching can be frustrating. So in this episode, I am doing my best in order to make sure that I provide you with something understandable. 
you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, when it comes to language pedagogy, if you want to go through the books, I almost promise you that you will you'll have a really, really hard time understanding the terminology, the pedagogy, the methodology, because sometimes I believe linguistics, you know, that's what's something that I suspect. And I heard myself, Stephen Krashen, say that apparently linguists enjoy making it more complicated. Like every now and then you just go and open up a book and then you see, oh gosh, a new theory, uh, a lot of you no know, new like specialized items and uh, names and different acronyms and different things. So in this episode, I'm doing my best in order to make sure that what I provide you with is both practical and beneficial. That's what I'm doing and that's what I'm uh, trying to be doing, let's say. Uh, I'm not really sure how successful I appear to be, but I'm doing my best. Uh, I can give you that. Uh, and in this specific episode, you know, uh, last episode we spoke about like a number of language uh, teaching methodologies and theories and approaches. Uh, we spoke uh, about CLT, we also spoke about TBLT, and also Audiolingua Direct Method, and so on and so forth. And tonight, uh, I thought like it would be really cool to be talking about something that can help you big time. And Kyle was kind enough to offer a great topic to talk about. And he thought like Elwin is going to be really cool. And I said, hold on a second. Of course, yes, because teachers apparently are always trying to uh, do their best because you are a teacher simply because you're a helper and you want your class to be both like helpful, beneficial, and at the end of the day, you want your class and you want like uh, your students to see their hard work pay off. So, of course, wholeheartedly, you are willing to do whatever it takes to have a, you know, a great class, a, gr a great class in which students interact with each other openly and confidently, and more importantly, competently, and they are not scared, they are not no, no, they are not uh, really like intimidated by the notion of interaction and making mistakes. And sometimes they may have a really hard time explaining what they want to. And, uh, and also they have a really hard time understanding what their teacher uh, is, for example, right now saying. And that can simply have a knock-on effect uh, because, you know, you guys have... Uh, heard a lot of uh, students saying like, oh, I, I did have a really hard time understanding what my teacher told me. And my teacher uh, just uh, kept talking as fast as possible. And I couldn't understand even a word. So that honestly just made me quit. That made me, uh, I don't know, rethink. That made me uh, take a break and you guys know what it means like when you take a break as a student it simply means that you know I'm no I'm I, I'd better go I'd better go I I have like I see nothing happening here so we all have heard that especially for low level of students because uh, as I told you before they have a really hard time understanding so uh, the teacher right now is going to be like in a dilemma okay should I believe and should I stick to what I been told to like to teach English and do it in English uh, because you want your students to learn English. So the concept is uh, really self-explanatory, just speak in English. 
Yet at the same time, you find out, oh gosh, my students are not understanding what I'm saying. Like they are not, they're not having, they're not having, uh, no, they're not having really a uh, good time right now. So that's why uh, Kyle and I uh, are going to be talking about L1. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it pure evil? Is it something that is going to help us? Is it going to help our students make splendid progress or the opposite or whatever you can uh, think of? So right now, uh, why don't you leave a comment? Why did you tell me uh, what you think of L1? Is it pure evil or it can also be beneficial? Uh, is it going to simply ruin the lesson and have a lot of deleterious effects on the lesson and learning? Or it is something cool that we got to just pay close attention to and make sure that we use it. That's something uh, I want you guys to leave comments. Let me know what you think. Is is one good using uh, your students' first language? Of course, uh, if you want to do so here, we somehow uh, assume that the teacher is also uh, well familiar with uh, students L1, of course, with their first language, because if the teacher has no idea what the language, uh, what, the, what their students' uh, first language is, of course, you know, L1 is simply out of the question. Or sometimes in some classes, uh, we have students from different uh, countries and cultures. Of course, they uh, all speak different languages. So again, there also L1 is out of the question. So we all know what framework we are in. And in this framework, we are going to be talking about using L1. Good. So let's see what we got to do. And I believe it's about time that Kyle joined me. And we had a good, fruitful conversation. Uh, I know Kyle can hear me. So, Kyle, if you can join, uh, that would be awesome. I am just really excited to uh, be talking to you. So, let's see if that's possible. Kyle, uh, I believe right now, is trying to join. Oh, there you go. Kyle, I hope you can hear me loud and clear. Yes. Can you Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes. And that's fantastic. First off, a big thank you for saying yes and joining. Honestly, I'm so privileged and happy. Thank you for oh, inviting that is, me. That is great to be talking to you. So how's everything, Kyle? Uh, it's very good. Right now I'm in the south of France. Uh, I'm going to the beach every day and teaching in the morning, so I can't complain. Yeah, I believe like this is like awesome. This is the <laughs> utopic, utopic version of teaching. That's great. Like well, in the morning? Yeah, you, in the morning you, you you teach, and in the afternoon you go to the beach, right? Yeah, so pretty much I have it situated to where I work remote at the moment. Well, I kind of do half and half, but at, in the summer I try to do my work very early in the morning. So start at 8, finish around 2, and then have the afternoon off. All right, really good, really good. So, Kyle, I've got like a lot of questions, like a ton of questions to ask you, and hopefully it's going to be... Uh, amazing. So first off, I want you, Kyle, to tell me a little about yourself. I know you really well, but I want our audience to know you, and then we're going to be moving on. Okay, so I'm originally from uh, Tampa, Florida, USA, uh, but I moved to Europe, say, 11 years ago due to a long series of events. But basically, I chose Europe because I like living in different cultures, and I like different languages, etc., which was sort of a preface to ending up being a, a language trainer. So yeah. uh, for, my, for my first few years living in Europe, um, I lived in Spain for three months 
but the mm -hmm. economy during the time wasn't very strong. So we're talking 2010 during the crisis. Um, and at the time I had a, a girlfriend in Belgium who said, well, come to Belgium. So mm -hmm. that's what I did. And wow. Living in, yeah. So living in Belgium, um, I kind of worked a lot of odd jobs prior to becoming right. a teacher. And then I became a teacher and the rest is history. Oh, great. Really cool. So you were kind of audacious and courageous, like from the very beginning, right? I guess you could say that. I don't know. Curious is the word I like to use. Some people like to say courageous, but yeah, you can you can say it as you want. I mean, yeah, like you know, it takes a lot of courage and also curiosity, like to say, "Oh, hold on, I'm going to be right. going to uh, to Euro and see how it turns out." And you yeah. did not have a like a very, I don't know, a very fixed plan to do what or not to do. I mean, you just wanted to play by ear, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I never really planned on anything. I just kind of thought I was in my what early 20s. So when you're in your early 20s, you don't really know anything. So yeah, um, yeah, I just kind of let things happen. And they worked out for the best in my particular situation. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, 100% agree with you. Like people, especially in their early 20s, like have no idea what they're doing. And uh, yeah, and even if they know what they're doing, for the most part, they're wrong. So I would that's, that's <laughs> you're, you're not wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. So let's move on. And let me ask you a question that I've been meaning to ask you. So how did you start this journey? By journey, I mean English teaching. So you didn't have a plan. You were just playing by ear. And then no. out of nowhere, you started teaching. How did that start? Well, I wouldn't say it was out of nowhere. I've always had an affinity for languages in general. Even when I was younger, when I kind of reflect. I've just always been drawn to different languages because you kind of get insight to other cultures and the way other people think and feel, et cetera. So, so for example, I have been to Australia, but I never really felt, I never really felt mm. a real culture shock. Whereas the first country that was non native English speakers was in Poland. And that's a total different realm. You know, it's a different language. So uh. it's just really, it was really, wow. I mean, this is really, that was really mm -hmm. the culture shock and, I don't know, I, kind of not going off topic, but I think as time progressed, especially living in Europe and hearing all the different languages around me and I, I guess having a lot of patience as well to kind of mm. understanding how the language acquisition is done and, you know, and how it goes about. Um, I, I, I just I eventually just kind of evolved into it. It really, it really started, I would say, when I went to Spain on a, on a weekend trip and I met another teacher at the time and she kind of explained right. to me what she does and how she became certified. And oh, that's how it's, that's pretty much where it started. Yeah. Yeah. I do exactly know what you're talking about. In fact, sometimes, no, it, I believe the same thing happened to me. I was at a party and I was talking to a friend and that friend, not a friend, like an acquaintance of mine. Mm -hmm. And then that friend happened to be uh, very bubbly, energetic. I asked him like what his job was and said, oh, I teach. I said, oh, cool. What do you teach? And then one thing led to another. And I found out like we were like exchanging numbers and I was making sure that one day, somehow, sometime, I'm going to be doing what he's doing because he happens to be like so energetic. And he was, you uh, know, back then, I believe like a good 20 years older than I was. So he was like a great role model, like the air. Okay. You just like, you were drawn to sort of the dynamism of teaching. I mean, yeah, it was like, you know, honestly, uh, you just use the word curiosity. Uh, to me, as it works, it is mostly about like, just you work with people and you apparently have a, I don't know, can I call it a gift or whatever? You've got a gift or something 
it, this is very innate. Honestly, I haven't earned that. You know, this is like somewhere with me. I just loved it from the very beginning to help others. And when you see somebody who embodies that, you say, hold on, that's yeah. who I want to be. Yeah. I believe I you think, almost went through the same thing, right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I would say having a lot of patience, it, it really has to be involved too, because it's not, it's not everybody is meant to try to understand someone trying to deciphering a language, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So imagine you're, uh, you speak Farsi. So imagine someone with no introduction to English trying to decipher a very basic sentence. That takes a lot of patience trying to get yes, yes, yes. the words, et cetera. So. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, going, it's going to be an arduous task. Like it requires, as you said, like a lot of patience and also a lot of passion. You got to have a, like plenty of time. You got to be a monk. You know, you need monk level <laughs> patience <laughs> to do so. Really cool. So I was reading, you know, it was like a paper or something. And you said something that honestly really got my attention, like very genuinely, because you find out when somebody puts like something with a lot of authenticity, authenticity. So because it was like something you said, I want my students to enjoy the class. Okay. So first off, speaking of deciphering things, I want you to let, like decipher, what do you mean by enjoying the class? We all know what it means, but I want your definition. So it's very simple uh, to my approach. I like to know that the student slash participant is, is at ease, is comfortable. I think that's a really yeah. overlooked part of learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they're not, I mean, imagine all of the, the teachers you've had in your life, you can remember because you were at ease, you were comfortable. The ones that you forget are the ones that you thought, wow, this person, this teacher is just not, it's not for me, basically. So yeah. I think, I think going back to the point, I, I really think it's important that people are at ease and comfortable. I think that's really crucial. But again, I have to say, sometimes that plays against you because people can take advantage of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Just what you said. Yeah, they gotta be at ease. And learning never happens when you're intimidated or stressed. Like never, ever. We also have a filter called effective filter. Uh, and this simply means that uh, when it comes to sport, okay, no problem. You like try to motivate your uh, a trainee. And you may shout, you may ask him to run, come on, do this, go run. And that may help, but when it comes to learning, special language learning, uh, it's not going to help. It's simply, uh, yeah, like that affective filter comes over and then you are not as smart as you think you are and learning never happens. Not at all. Well, I think so going, that's, I think going to your point, I think a lot of public education in general, I think that's how a lot of subjects are taught exactly how you just described it. It's yeah. very, very regimented, just like sports, I should say. It's very regimented. It's really, you know, ABC, one, two, three, et cetera. Et cetera. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I believe uh, apparently we, we don't need to be like Freud. We don't need to be, we don't need Jung level, I don't know, knowledge of psychology. But of course, I believe it is like common sense that, you know, if you want to uh, have students who are, like very energetic, participative, and they talk, they interact, they feel really good. You want them to be at ease. If they're not learning, I promise you, won't happen at all. Yeah. 
Cool. So, and right now, let's move on. So, let's we first off uh, found a great definition. So, ha- having a like a joyful, like a cool class, like a good class, is first off to make sure that your students are at ease. So that's really important. So, and if I like, uh, if you were to tell me what you really value, like the most in your classes, what would it be? I think if a student leaves and they enjoy, I think I've achieved what I, I was set out to do, basically. Also, if they yeah. walk away and have learned something, that's that's a big gratification, especially the ones yeah. who challenge you the most. I think the ones who challenge you the most, if they walk away and they have taken something from it, then you've done something. And I think yeah. that for me is, is very gratifying. Yeah, that's great. Really cool. Yeah, apparently that is what I believe teaching is all about. And as you said, I, I, I also have my own philosophy. I, I do believe that. You know, the more difficult your students, like in terms of behavior or some of them are so, so picky or may, may ask you like a ton of questions, I believe the pickier and uh, the more difficult your students, the better, you know, you the better your takeaway from the class. Because as a teacher, you also want to learn something. You don't want to be always the person who teaches. You also want to learn from your classes. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, it, not every group you will have will be the funnest group you know you're always you're always going to have different yeah. personalities you're always going to have a different some people you know retain things they prefer things a certain way so you always have a lot of these factors there's yeah. you always have to deal with so that's where a lot of like dynamic activities really kind of come into play well for me anyways i know for everyone else it's different but Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to like when you when you teach a class, uh, as you said, you got to make sure that what you're doing or what you're teaching uh, is like attractive enough and helpful enough and needs analysis there plays, of course, a really vital role. You got to know your students and find out how you can help them make progress. This is not a matter of presenting. Teaching is not presenting. Teaching, I believe, is way more profound, right? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, is great. Really cool. Very good. So, Carl, we have like people from different continents and countries. We, our listeners, are from Mexico. We have people from South Africa. We also have uh, very many people from Iran and Turkey. We also have Jepeli uh, saying that I teach, uh, I teach in uh, in European context and in Brussels, and there are so many links between English and Germanic latin based languages so learning into students l1 language lessons does help with vocabulary not necessarily with grammar so that is i believe a good start so d i mean let's get started uh kyle and let's uh delve into the meat and potatoes shall we let's go let's go for it yeah so people here are people here are for l1 and first off right off the uh, right off the bat Please tell me what you think of L1. Uh, we were talking before uh, the show, but I really want to know your genuine uh, take when it comes to L1. Okay. Um, well, for me, I like it because I like speaking other languages, and I think it's super fun. However, I do understand this happen where I'll speak, I don't know, French or Dutch or a little German, I think people wow. appreciate it, and I also enjoy. I just enjoy doing it, but I, I think that's where the whole controversy comes into play. Because one could argue, 
they're not problem solving because you're you're automatically kind of giving it to them. However, going to your point, what you said in your previous episode, which really kind of sparked my curiosity, was it's economical. And I really do think no one could, you can't say that any better. It just saves you the time. But if, I don't know, that, that's a whole debate within itself. But to kind of give you the point, my answer is I have no problem with it, but sparingly. You can't give 90, 90% of your session, obviously, in you know the the groups l1 for example so of course i think you can use it sparingly but not obviously the entire session now if there's any teachers listening i think jeff is or anyone else uh, for the matter uh, they can definitely feel free to comment so mm. that's right yeah i want people to uh, just leave comments really want to know what your thoughts are uh, uh, because l1 is a very controversial topic we have people uh, supporting L1, say, oh, L1 is really cool, it's really helpful, it can simply bring about uh, great changes into the lesson, and you can make more progress. On the other hand, we have very many who, as I told you, believe that L1 is pure evil. So in your own classes, you speak a number of languages. That is that is great, first off. Um, and uh, in your own classes, like, uh, how I want to know about your experience. So when it comes to L1, uh, how do you take advantage of it? Do you use it or in a 90-minute, for example, class? Uh, is it like a minute or two? How does that work? Okay, so it so this is, this is an interesting topic because I think it depends on the L1. So, for example, so Jeff obviously is based in Belgium. Um, I guess in Mexico it's Spanish. But anyways, I'm going off topic. Yeah. Um, so basically in Belgium you have, you have three languages. You have German, Flemish, which is... Dutch and then French. So what I've noticed yeah. is with Dutch speakers, also German speakers, it seems that L1 is used less, more with the Dutch because the Dutch is not, it's not a, a world language in the sense of comparing it to, let's say, Arabic, French, English, or yeah. you know, something like that. So I think for the Dutch speakers, it's less because they, they I think they've already been trained in a way to already do the problem solving with the language. Now, with French speakers, on the other hand, there needs to be more L1 because one, they're not exposed to English enough. And two, I think the education kind of, I don't know how to say that. Like, I think education kind of disservices them of gaining new languages, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think for the, I think for the French speakers, I use more L1 because they have this habit of using it. So translation is more common for them than say for a German or Dutch speaker. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's anyone listening, you can debate that. I'm not saying I'm 100% correct. This is my experience personally. Yeah, great, really cool. So of course, you know, from like culture to culture and from language to language, uh, it differs uh, sometimes dramatically because some languages can have a lot in common, uh, you know, and of course that similarity can also can come in handy in one uh, sense, and sometimes if the difference is a little like too huge, then of course uh, that can not be really uh, helpful in terms of like two languages comparing one with another to make sure how different or how similar they are. So uh, and you know, uh, for example, like of course you have like different classes and with different you know people from different countries, and that is the point that you say like for. This student, I use like this one, uh, this amount of L1. 
for this one, X amount of L1. And my question right now for you is like, what about what about like uh, upper intermediate advanced students? So what is the role of L1 there? Because from experience, I myself believe that you know, when your students are intermediate or upper intermediate or advanced, then of course the role of L1 is little to none because your students gotta be, and they are supposed to be competent enough in order to understand something. So they can ask questions, uh, they can ask for clarifications, and they can also make sure that they have gotten the memo. So what do you think, you know, when it comes to upper intermediate advanced students, so what do you, what do you, how do you see the role of L1 or how big of a deal is that? Well, you're absolutely right there. Uh, I mean, the translation at that point kind of gets lost because imagine you're translating idioms. I mean, you can't really do that because yeah. the, the idioms are kind of their own thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could translate some complex phrasal verbs, but I think the skill that should be somehow taught, which is a very tricky thing, it, is to get someone to think in the language. That is a very yeah. difficult thing to do. So yes, yes, yes. I think if L1 is used, it should be, if this, if this makes sense, it should be taught to get rid of L1 in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. You need, to, you need to think in the language, but that skill is so difficult to get. It really is a very difficult skill. Yeah, in fact, you know, I mean, how you put it, I really liked it. Like you, you, you use L1 to get rid of L1. Like right. it can be something, yeah, it can be a mental uh, process or it can be something verbal, but yeah. you're doing it just for the sake to get rid of that. So right. I believe that's really cool. So how do you see problem solving? Because uh, when it comes to language teaching, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Krashen once said that language teaching and language learning is not just about learning, learning, learning. It is also about problem solving. He also right. provided an example like an analogy he said okay imagine that you are studying uh for example chemistry and you want to memorize the periodic table you cannot get up early in the morning and start reading those items and say okay i'm going to memorize them all that that's not how it comes about uh the way to memorize the periodic table is to get up deal with that and solve problems and uh when it's time has come you're going to like memorize the periodic table so he believes that problem solving also has its own uh like a uh, rule when it comes to language learning and it is something that we shouldn't uh turn a blind eye to and we have to pay close attention to so what do you think of uh you know l1 and what it does to problem solving because uh if as a student or as a teacher as a student uh for the most part and mainly if i am allowed to use l1 then I'm not going to be solving as many problems as I could without L1. What do you think about this? I think that's true to a certain degree, but again, kind of going to your original point, I still think the economy of time is something to factor into this because the thing is, imagine you're trying to discuss, uh, let's say the past simple versus the present perfect. That can be a whole, I mean, that really is a whole week. It could be of explaining yeah. that, but Imagine if you're just so in the middle of a very complicated thing, you're trying to explain it and you're explaining it in English, for example. And let's say there's just a word, a small word that someone doesn't understand and you just say the translation immediately, boom. Then that way you don't have to delve into that and then that could also take yeah. you off. So take you off from what you're originally trying to teach. So I Yeah, think, it, it is like a rabbit hole. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, you you could translate it. They might say a word, someone can laugh, and then the dominoes fall, and, and you're doing something different. So I, I think I think really the economy of time is something that should be factored into that. Um, but again, I, I it, it's it's a good point because the thing is, if you use L1 in, in a way, you're you're doing them a disservice in the actual problem solving process. But you could also make the argument that it's helping the problem solving process. No, I mean, if someone can make the bridge or the link in their brain of A to B from language A to language B, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that could help. But again, it depends on the person. I, re- I think it depends on the student. Yeah, it definitely does. And I believe like based on, uh, I believe some research conducted in Cambridge University, I'm not really sure I'm a person, but I believe this is the case. Uh, 80%, I'm not really sure, like 80% of the time that the students use L1, it is mostly and mainly for the sake of comparing like what they've learned. It can be a word, it can be, I don't know, a piece of grammar with their own language. Like they compare that. And apparently it can also, as you said, can help and can come in handy and beneficial. So it can also be of help. Yeah, good. And uh, so right now, let's move on. I was having a conversation. Yeah, I'd rather call it a conversation. It was mostly an argument. So I was talking to uh, a person and we were discussing something. Uh, of course, we were talking about the same thing and we were discussing something uh, a little quite Kalini. We were talking about false learners and uh, like false beginners and true beginners so when it comes to basic level students okay when their knowledge of the language uh, is very limited so here i assume uh based on what you just said the role of l1 is going to be extensive because your students knowledge is very limited so am i as a teacher allowed to be using L1 like as much as necessary? Well, I think it's important to distinguish if they're children or adults. So the uh-huh. brain, the brains of two are very different, as you know. So I would say with children, I would say just stick to the language that you're teaching. I mean, their brains are wired to just absorb, absorb, absorb. And for them, language mm-hmm. learning is a game it's it's very easy they don't have to translate anything it's just apple oh okay that's an apple i mean it's just very simple i think for adults if they're a true exactly. beginner you have to use more l1 because you, i mean i guess you could throw someone into a complete immersion situation but will they understand everything probably not i, I mean again i'm sure right people people can argue that i'm sure there's studies on that but i would say if you took 10 adults and you their total beginners don't know anything of the language and you throw them in a complete immersion. Oh, Kyle, unfortunately, I lost your voice. Have you got my voice? Oh, apparently something went wrong. So... Kyle, unfortunately, I cannot hear you. And, uh, oh, that's a shame because, you know, he was in the middle of something so interesting. I was really enjoying listening to him talking about the difference when it comes to, uh, like, children and adults. And because he's 100% right, you know, they learn differently. And as he was saying, like, uh, children and kids, like, 
like that's English. Okay, let's learn it. Apples, okay, apples, no problem, right? You know, when it comes to languages, they just absorb everything, and uh, and it is something simple. You know, they don't make language uh, like I don't know something esoteric and something profound. They learn it because it's fun to learn it. Okay, let's learn. That's no problem. Yet when it comes to adults, they sue it. Like, like they just want to make it, you know, as complicated as possible. They ask about the language, something that I believe Jeremy Harmer once said really cool, uh, really well. And he said, okay, you know, adult learners want to learn about the language and the language, but children mostly want to learn the language. So this, you can see, simply signifies that, you know, how you got to be doing that. Yeah. Good. Can so you, can you still uh, hear me? I I'll hope you're back. Dropped. Did my connection drop? Oh, unfortunately, uh, I can't hear you at all. Uh, oh. So that is a shame. But let's see what we got to do. So I believe it's about time we took a break. Do not go anywhere. Okay, stay tuned because there is a lot we are going to be talking about. Let's go for the news. Let's go for the break. And afterwards, hopefully, Kyle is going to join and we are going to have a lot of fun. Let's go for the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection, which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver, in human language, your hub. Then there are walls, furniture, other devices, basically anything that gets in the way. So the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket they are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders allowing you to create a better wi-fi coverage in dark spots in your home at around 30 to 50 pounds, it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home. Meshing is the next solution to improve coverage. More recently, homes have been adopting the mesh system, 
Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Right. So right now, let's go back. Where were we? Uh, Kyle, hope you can hear me loud and clear. Please tell me you can. Can you hear me? Hello? Oh, something must have gone wrong because I cannot hear him talk. Okay, let's see what we got to do about it. So he was talking about something honestly fascinating. I was having a really, really good time listening to him talk about the differences. Uh, when it comes to uh, learners. So let's see. Apparently something must have cropped up. Hopefully it's going to be all right. Good. All right, everybody. Leave your comments. Let me know what you think of the role of L1 in English teaching. I really want to know what you guys believe and think. Is it okay now? Oh, yes. And that is really good news. That is really good news. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Great. So you were talking, Carl, about something honestly purely fascinating. You were talking about the differences when it comes to uh, learning, uh, whether you are an adult or uh, a, ch a child. So would you please walk us through that? Because we couldn't hear like halfway through. Uh, okay. So basically, from my experience, for, for children, well, I guess I can categorize it within three. For children, it really is a game. You don't really have to teach them any, well, you don't have to teach them any like grammar points or anything. They just, just play songs, stories, games. They get it. Very simple. Their yeah. brains, they brain, their brains just acquire, 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 acquire. So yes, yes. I, so I would say for children, the sooner they start, the better. I mean, their brains are going to get it. I mean, just look at children who grow up in bilingual houses. They're, 
They yeah. grow up and two languages is no problem. So yeah. No problem. Yeah. For, for teenagers, it's a bit tricky because number one, they have to be motivated because then you have the, the hormonal aspect. And that, I think that's overlooked because in their brain, if they think they don't want to do it, it's going to be very difficult to motivate them. Absolutely. So, that's very challenging. And I think that's yeah. where the planning, the activities and what you do with them is really crucial because if they're not, if they've already told themselves, I hate this, then I, I it's strongly over. doubt. Yeah, it's over. But if they like it, if they think, wow, this is really great. Actually learning is super fun. They, I think they'll learn quickly. Um, and then we're adults. That's who a lot of I deal with. With adults, it's really tricky because I think that's where, again, depending on what, their native languages and how they've been kind of educated to acquire language. I, I think it really depends on the, the, the language of the person. So like I said before, I took the, the example uh, of a Dutch speaker. They, real, they really won't use L1 just because they're so used to hearing different languages. Whereas a French speaker, you have to translate a lot. It's just, it's just how they're kind of been educated. So yeah. I don't know. That, that's been my, that's been kind of my experience. Perhaps other yeah. people have different experiences. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you said, like, makes a lot of sense, especially about teenagers. I remember, uh, like, very vividly talking to uh, a colleague of mine and saying, he was, he was, in fact, talking about a class that he was uh, just teaching English and the students, uh, like, was showing, like, almost no interest. Mm -hmm. And, and I tried uh, and said, okay, hold on. You got to go and you got to motivate them. And he looked at me in the eye and he was like, do you really think I'm going to go and just continue that losing battle? No, I'm not. So, uh, yeah, I believe it is almost impossible to motivate teenagers. As you said, like, it's very binary. They are either yeah. very into it or completely out of it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, I, think, I, think that's where, I think that's where the activities, you really have to experiment because sometimes you'll do something. And you think, wow, that was flat. And then afterwards, you'll have amazing feedback on it. So it, they're, they're very difficult to read. They're very difficult to read, teenagers. Yeah, yes, yes. They are unpredictable. Absolutely. Yeah, you, absolutely. You just, uh, I just remember something. Yeah, uh, I remember myself, like, uh, I had classes. And then also, uh, for example, the night before, I stayed up, uh, stayed up late and just managed to have a task, an activity or something like this. So I thought, oh, gosh, it's going to be amazing. Then in the class, oh gosh, nothing worked. No? Yeah, the class was falling apart. And on the contrary, I had like uh, different things and uh, different things to do and always thought, oh gosh, it's not going to be great. It's going to be really mundane and unremarkable. Yet students loved it. Yeah. Apparently, as you said, it is almost impossible to read them. No, they are not that transparent. Uh, yeah. Good. No. So right now, let's talk about the term necessary, because first off, we have, uh, when it comes to L1, we have names for it, like we have desperate L1. That L1 is when is your student uh, uses when he has like no way to express what he wants to express. So that is out of the question. So we are not going to be talking about desperate L1 because there's no uh, like prescription to it. There's no solution to it. They got to use it and you got to just find out one way to understand it and then uh, provide them with the help they need. But what do, you think, what do you think of the term necessary? Because when it comes to L1, teachers and trainers mostly say, okay, uh, use a one, uh, but when it is and only if it is necessary. Uh, it's going to be, of course, time-saving 
but use it when it is necessary. What does this necessarily mean? Is it my necessary? Is my students necessary? Is it my colleagues necessary? How do you define the term necessary? Well, perhaps necessary can be to a point where if they can't paraphrase without saying exactly what they're trying to say, if they're mm -hmm. just so blocked that words physically are not leaving their mouth, well, then I think that it's necessary, yeah. you know? But if someone is... Because you can still make out what someone says it by miming or just paraphrasing, maybe putting like lexical chunking, if you will, just trying yeah. to put words together to create what they're trying to say. Let's say it's more of a complex vocab word. But I would say the point of necessary for me, anyhow, would be if someone physically cannot get it out of their mouth, then I think you have to insert it just to keep the flow of what they're trying yeah. to say. Yeah, and it, it has already become like very infuriating and bugging. You know, they right. are not having fun thinking about it because sometimes right. it can be fun to just make sure, find a good word in order to express what you want to express. But at one point, it can be an arduous task that you're just 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 feeling bad, worse and worse and worse. Uh, yeah, I believe you now maybe one responsibility of a teacher is to like to stop them there and help them scaffold them with what that whatever they have uh you know at disposal good so right now let's move on so let's conclude that l1 of course can be helpful uh l1 can be economical okay let's 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 uh, leave that to you kyle so if you want to conclude right now uh, about l1 so what would you like conclude that how would you express that I would say use it sparingly, however, use it when it's necessary. <laughs> but again, that's when the whole necessary of your definition comes into play. So I'd say yeah. use it sparingly because again, you're, if you use it all the time, you are doing a bit of a disservice to the student, but yeah. sometimes it is, um, it's, it, it, it is a must. So it's up to the teacher to decide what, what and when basically. Absolutely. 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 Very good. Very good. So, Carl, uh, honestly, very honestly, it was amazing talking to you. And you happen to be very, uh, like, a straightforward. And when you express something, you make sure that what you say makes sense and it is both practical and beneficial. Honestly, I myself had a way of a time talking to you. So, I want to ask you to like give us a piece of advice because uh, you happen to be a teacher who's been teaching in different countries and you have a great deal of fun teaching. You have your like your own uh, take when it comes to language teaching. So if you were to give our audience a piece of advice, what it, what, what would it be? In, in, in learning a language or teaching a language? Uh, let's start with teaching, I believe. No, that would make, that make more sense, I assume. Okay. Um, I would say if you're a teacher, definitely try to make it fun for the students because remember, some of them don't want to be there. So you have to always factor that in. Yeah. I think, I think the learning process should be fun. It really should be. I, I just think respectively, wherever everyone is from in the world, I think education in general is not, there should be a higher quality of it. I mean, obviously in certain countries you have different levels, but I think specifically to language, I think it really should be a fun process because it's very enriching. Yeah. You can't, once you have it, you can't get rid of it. So I think it should be Absolutely. a really fun, it should be a fun process. 
Absolutely, yes. It should be fun. Absolutely. This is what, you know, the whole comprehensible input, compelling input, optimal input, uh, you know, talks about. It's, it is all about providing your students with interesting, not even interesting, compelling input. One thing, something that they find it really, uh, you know, fun to interact with, to talk about. And then learning happens almost like even not learning. Let's say acquisition happens involuntarily. So, uh, Carl, it was amazing. Uh, we're going to be, of course, talking much more, uh, hopefully, uh, in our upcoming episodes, because I believe you have a lot to share and uh, talking to you is both fun and really beneficial. Well, thank you for having me, Hadi. It's been very nice. Thank you very much, my friend. I got to say goodbye. Goodbye, Carl. Hope to talk to you really, really soon. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Great. That was Carl Whittaker, a teacher and also a language enthusiast, somebody that I believe uh, finds teaching purely fun. And this is what teaching is all about. I think if you want to have a really good time and if you want to be a teacher who happens to be inspiring, you know, because I believe uh, inspiration is something that you should not be doing anything about. Just you, the only thing that you need to, I believe, is not to try to be inspiring. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, when you try to be inspiring, then the whole concept falls apart. Uh, the only thing that you need is to be, like, in love with what you're doing, whatever that is. It doesn't matter if that's teaching, if that's, uh, I don't know, uh, engineering, whatever that is. No, the second that you find whatever the one uh, like fun and insightful, then whoever, whoever is working with you is going to uh, like have a lot of fun and get a lot of inspiration from. I believe Kyle is one of those people. So hopefully we are going to uh, talk to Kyle, Kyle you know, in our upcoming episodes, but we got to see how things work out. So uh, right now I'm going to be uh, reading a, a number of like comments and also things that people sent me on Twitter uh, is really cool to read them, and uh, and they are mainly and mostly, uh, of course, about L1. Uh, we have people, we have comments uh, and people thinking of L1, and they believe that L1 simply is an obstacle. Learning uh, would not be uh, happening more economically when L1 is in the class. To which, I mean, Colin and I have said that, of course, it can be really helpful. Because, you know, honestly, we just talked about being necessary. So pay close attention to that part. If that is not necessary, if you're using L1 uh, excessively, of course, it's not going to help. You know, that is like obvious. Of course, yes. Of course, it's not going to be really helpful. Um, of course, yes. But sometimes when your student is like in a quagmire, like, they try really hard to say something. They try really hard to understand something. And you, as a teacher, uh, you also do your best in order to help them understand something. And you explain. So uh, your TTT goes up and you keep talking and your students can understand what you're saying. So you see the whole concept is going to be very, very perplexing because your student is not going to feel any better uh, nor are you going to feel any better because you just failed to uh, do something? So, of course, L1 can be helpful, but again, when it is necessary, 
when you find out that you cannot, in fact, uh, express this piece of grammar or vocabulary in English. You've tried, but it's not going to work. So you'd better do it in L1. There are different ways that you can do it. Uh, there are like some strategies that you can L1. You can use L1 uh, in good taste uh, in a way that it can also help you feel better. For example, in terms of giving instructions, there is a, a method, not a method, but it is a really cool thing that teachers have been doing for a relatively long time, like 500 years or so. And this is uh, called sandwiching. Uh, in fact, you say something in English, in your target language, whatever that is that you're teaching, in this case, of course, English, you say something in, in English, and then you see you say the translation, okay, the meaning in the middle, and again, that word. So it happens like you say that in English, okay, uh, you say it in your student's L1, and then you repeat it in English. So in this case, of course, you have made learning uh, way easier. As Kyle said, students are at ease, there's no stress, and uh, there's no tension. And your student, of course, can understand that, and also they get uh, twice the exposure uh, you know, when it comes to the target language. Let's move on. And then I also received another comment, which is about uh, you know, the tension that uh, using only the target language comes uh, and brings to the class, which is 100% true. Yeah. You know, when you, a lot of teachers, including me, maybe, uh, we believe that, you know, you got you to gotta use the target language. That's it. That's how it works. Nothing more, nothing less. You got to use the target language. You have problem. Uh, expressing your meaning, no problem. Try harder. Try harder. Uh, try hard enough until you can uh, express yourself in English. Yet we all know that it, you know, it fills the class with tension. And this tension, of course, is not one of those good ones. You know, this tension is uh, very dysphoric, not euphoric. We all know about the importance of, importance of euphoric tension. And euphoric tension is something good, of course. Euphoric tension uh, helps students like feel better. And, and that little teeny tiny dose of uh, you know, uh, dopamine, of course, also can come in handy. But if that tension or that competition is like too, too much and toxic and unhealthy, of course, uh, that is dysphoric tension and it cannot be helpful. So uh, placing a lot of emphasis on using the target language can sometimes be, uh, can, can I believe, can appear to be uh, very negative. So this is something that you uh, also, as teachers, got to take into consideration. All right, because at the end of the day, you want your class to be conducive. conducive. You want the ambience, the atmosphere of the class to be helpful. You, As Carl said, you know, some of the students who are in your class do not want to be there. I believe that's something we got to pay close attention to, okay? Sometimes they don't want to be there, but they're there, okay? So that is, I believe, your responsibility as a teacher to make sure that the place is a comfortable, stress-free, as much as possible. It cannot be stress-free, of course. Uh, of course, there's a stress, and sometimes that stress can come in handy, as we've talked about before, attention. But the point is, it doesn't have to be like more than like a certain amount. If that's more than that, then of course it's going to backfire. It's not going to be really fun. Students are going to be intimidated and learning cannot happen there. 
Okay, we gotta be clear about it. So uh, there's also one more thing. Again, it, it is about uh, like the concept of the concept of necessary. Uh, my necessary students necessary. Uh, you know, I don't know my colleagues necessary. I believe this simply boils down to the fact that uh, who we are talking with. Okay, uh, who our students are. Okay, in terms of culture, in terms of country, in terms of behavior, how old they are, as Khan said. Uh, again, all of these items, I believe this is like uh, like a formula with a lot of uh, variables. So you got to pay close attention to uh, who you are talking about, like uh, students in terms of culture and also in terms of their age can be totally different. But if we were to just say one thing, we would go with, Okay, when your students fail to interact, okay, no matter how hard they try, and then learning instead of being fun has already become painful. So that's where, apparently, you got to use L1. So everybody, thank you very much. I had a veil of a time uh, talking about L1 uh, with my amazing guest, uh, Kyle, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the talk. I really want to say thank you to everybody listening. It is pretty late, but you guys uh, listened and stay tuned. So it is it means a lot to me. Hope you know you found this talk really helpful and insightful. Uh, and and that's it. That's it. Gotta say goodbye. Keep moving. Keep laughing. And keep teaching English, everybody. Goodbye. And hope to see you to talk to you. In fact, really, really soon. Till then, goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.